lights, camera, Hollywood swinging, Hollywood swinging, Hollywood, Hollywood swinging, Hollywood. Roll that intro. Hollywood swinging, dancing, swinging. I don't know the rest Dance. of the song. Swinging. Hollywood. Hollywood swinging. Hollywood swinging. Much praise and love to Cool and the Gang. Yeah. <laughs> All right, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Cinemagic, where I am your Woo! most dapper host, Jonathan Gondois. Here with the greatest co-host I could ever ask for, Rick Acevedo. If if you saw Jonathan right now, you'd need some popcorn because you'd be waiting for him to pick up the Oscar so that he could go live his better life, which would be an Orson Welles life. And he knows what I mean by that, so I'm just going to let that go. Yep, we talked about last week, but I'm going to go to live in Europe, have some peas and some champagne. That is going to be... And some peeps. Wait a minute, hold on. Don't forget the peeps. Yeah, and the peeps. That's what we do it. But today we are going to talk about really some old stories from Hollywood. Hollywood. Since we we're talking about, yep. Since we're talking about Orson Welles, we really wanted to say maybe we should tell some other stories of that er, er, era, area, area, and era. Era. <laughs> Since, you know, this is such a dominant force in today's cultures, a lot of us may not know some of the stories or history of really early Hollywood. Mm -hmm. So we thought we'd take a little time just to talk about them. Absolutely. I think that when we think about Hollywood, or at least when we used to think about Hollywood, I know as, as children, Hollywood was the all-encompassing force of nature. It was the one word that everyone not just in the united states but around the world knew it was the one place where everyone knew what everyone knew about was hollywood the big yep. sign that was it the glitz the glamour the fame exactly but no one understood except for maybe historians and uh and people that wanted to to talk about it and really this was something that was very highly glossed over until about the early 90s when a show when shows like um, Hollywood Babylon came out Hollywood Babylon was uh, hosted by Tony Curtis the late Tony Curtis and it would you know give his stories like really dark stories about the dark and seedy side of Hollywood so my favorite side of Hollywood the, the best side it's the, the scandalous side it's the, the side that, it's the side that makes it all worthwhile yeah 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 no um so you know everybody on everybody knew and knows like the the success stories at shops pharmacy and all that they don't know that hollywood was initially not even meant to be what it was or the fact that that famed sign which is only partly there now <laughs> because you see hollywood but the, the sign actually used to read hollywood land and that sign was not there to advertise the film industry or anything close to that it was there to advertise 
a modern housing development that was being put up, now known as Hollywood Hills. That's that's what the sign was there for. Mm-hmm. Hollywood was essentially about a hundred and fifty acre area. Okay, it was purchased um, by a couple from, I believe it was Oklahoma, and it was eventually developed. <clears throat> It was essentially made part of Los Angeles, but Hollywood was not meant to be what it is today. It all happened by, you know, circumstance, really. So, look, that's Hollywood in a nutshell. Yep, because maybe a little bit of luck. Maybe if someone just knew when they looked at those Hollywood Hills, they said... We could make this a star, baby. Uh, <laughs> Get those couches ready. <laughs> uh, that's what it is. So if you're watching us, you'll see the old Hollywood land right behind Rick and the kind that's of right. what we think of the Hollywood sign right Cont- behind me and uh, what it became. Hollywood. Yep, the, <laughs> the good glamour and the fame. So that's what really we're going to do today. Talk a little bit more about the history of Hollywood and then talk about some scandalous stuff as well. Because again, uh, unlike Rick here, I do love the drama. So I will. Oh, no, no, no. I love the drama. I just don't want to be a part of the drama because that drama can get a lot of people imprisoned (laughs) (laughs) or killed. Well, if you listen to some of my stories, it did not, even though it should have. Uh... <laughs> oh, I'm dying to hear those. <laughs> my stories, my stories. There are some people that end up getting killed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is Hollywood. You can't, you, you can't have that. There's, there's, there's gold and bodies buried in them hills. Uh... <laughs> I wonder. I, you know what I really wonder? Um, how many? Like, what's the ratio of uh, gold to bodies? Um, probably one for one. <laughs> I you know, say like t- two buddies for every nugget. <laughs> yep, that's where it is. Uh, you know, I'm I'm from New York, so unlike New York, where our river is more body than water, uh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> at least man. Hollywood has some gold in it. <laughs> I love my New Yorkers out there. You know, yeah. you know no diss. I, lo- I love my. Oh, New come Yorkers. on, it's all about the. Uh, <laughs> it's all He's about the. So, uh, so yeah, join us on this ride. Uh, well, we'll let Rick get started because I'm I'm just gonna learn and listen from Rick, and then come in with drama when I feel like it because I'm gonna be all drama filled. Because again, Hollywood. <laughs> all right. So Hollywood essentially in the 1850s was really not even an incorporated town. Um, you know, everyone, anyone, and everyone that's been to California knows and understands. It is a massive state. It's the kind of state where you could go a good half a day driving without seeing another soul, depending Mm -hmm. on where you're at. So Hollywood was essentially just a piece of land. It was um, purchased by this couple um, from Oklahoma. Or no, I think they were from Kansas, I believe. Either it had to, it, I think it's Kansas, Topeka, I believe. I'm not 100% certain on that. They bought the land, and then eventually, um, H.A. Whitley stepped in 
and um, had the idea to develop that land. Now, this is long before film became a part of the landscape. You have to understand that film, what we know now as film, um, was being handled at that time by none other than the original gangster himself. And I say gangster because if you actually look at his story, he was like a real gangster. Uh, Thomas Edison. So film was originally in New York. You had Nickelodeons, you had these theaters and stuff like that. Uh, Thomas Edison had a, a studio. Um, it was called the Black Mariah. And he shot stuff there which didn't really only make, didn't really make sense to anybody except to Thomas Edison. Uh, some people credit him with shooting the, uh, the first porns, which weren't porns. They were just girls in swings. Uh, so I guess that's porn in those times. <laughs> um, and, and Hollywood was not really... I mean, when, when Hollywood eventually was, you know, became a part of L.A., it was actually a dry town. There was no, not, not really any drinking in Hollywood. So as time goes on, H.J. Whitley, who, who's considered the father of Hollywood, starts developing Hollywood. He opened the Hollywood Hotel, which is where the uh, Dolby Theater is now located. Okay, so if you ever go to Dolby Theater, um, there's some rich history there. And really, anywhere you go to in, in Hollywood, the architecture, everything just tells a very unique story. So H.A. Whitley starts developing that, and then eventually the, the film studios start coming in in the 1900s. Okay, early 1900s. Now, back then, what we had was silent film, and actors, actresses, all these stars were considered trash. They were uh, primarily referred to as actor trash. You know, mm -hmm. they were, that's really where the term movies comes from that's what they would refer to those people as movies oh these are those movies people you know films the the term movies really comes from that um eventually that would lead to stars such as uh charlie chaplin douglas fairbanks mary pickford fatty arbuckle the keystone cops and everything like that and you know studios would would start sprouting up um, you would have like five dominant studios which were MGM Warner Brothers uh, Paramount RKO and if I'm not mistaken Columbia Pictures you know other smaller outfits smaller <laughs> being the operative word like Universal which was somehow considered smaller would pop up and as time went on a new system of doing things started developing thanks to people like Thomas Ince. Thomas Ince is considered the father of the modern western film um, really the guy that created the indentured servitude contract <laughs> uh, the seven year contract uh, for those of you that don't know what that is in Hollywood, essentially what you had to do to appear in a film and get paid for it on a weekly basis was go in, 
uh, have a have a headshot with you or what have you, and they would give you a contract for seven years, and that's how they would build their stars. And people like Clint Eastwood had seven-year contracts. Um, I believe John Wayne had a seven-year uh, contract early on in his career. Marilyn Monroe, Lucille Ball, all these stars that will later on become iconic on their own um, were part of that studio system. And the, the studio system at that point controlled everything. So Hollywood went from being a small little really plot of land to becoming a part of Los Angeles to becoming the place where one of the biggest uh, industries really ever was found. At least in the United States because, you know, Mexico already had its own industry and what have you. So... Hollywood was was its own enclave for all these major stars that we now know as, as our icons and our idols and, and things of that nature. But because it was such an in like such a different world, Hollywood controlled what we saw, Hollywood controlled mm-hmm. what we knew. And Hollywood controlled what we were not going to be told. So Hollywood essentially became a factory. It became a total and utter factory. And one thing I want to just put in there, uh, just real quick, is what people even think of the American accent. Probably the way that you hear Rick and I even speak is really in Hollywood invention because when people would come from all around in Hollywood and have these various accents, they wanted to get rid of them and have a standard way of speaking that then disseminates and now becomes the way we think that Americans talk. And not only that, but Hollywood really became the place where, you know, you know how they say appearances are everything in some areas. Mm -hmm. And Hollywood appearances really were everything because you could come in and your name could be, you know, let's use Tony Curtis as an example. His name was Bernard Schwartz. Well, Bernard Schwartz didn't sound like the name of a leading man. Mm. So the whole changing of your, your name, your identity... Um, learning to speak a different way. That's, of course, when talkies became a thing because prior to that, your look was even more important. Mm -hmm. So, for example, Charlie Chaplin, what made Charlie Chaplin such a massive success was Charlie Chaplin was an insanely athletic individual. He wasn't a big guy, but he was an insanely athletic individual and the whole little tramp character was something that sold well with common audiences because here you had this guy that just couldn't catch a break and was kind of you know slappy all over the place on the other hand you had a guy like douglas fairbanks and douglas fairbanks was you know the stud of his day doing el zorro and all these other you know playing playing the the swashbuckler so everybody had a role Mary Pickford was the beautiful sometimes dancer in distress. So the whole thing about appearances, especially during the early days of Hollywood, 
mattered. It matters now to a certain extent just because Hollywood isn't what it was back then and, and things don't work the way that they used to. Everything evolves, things change, you know, places change, the importance of places changes. But at that point in time, your look was absolutely everything. So they had a they had very specific roles for the girl next door, for the leading lady, for the damsel in distress, the swashbuckler, the person that could perform dramatically. But again, at that point in time, films were a different thing because for example, they would have like Charlie Chaplin would do what were called six reelers. So it was like six reels of, of film and the story would be told and that was it. Some people would have a longer film. You know, the epics. Uh, stuff being done by Cecil B. the Mill. You know, the original Ten Commandments, things like that. So there were there was specific room for specific people. And the way you looked mattered. Mm-hmm. Eventually, it would, you know... Physical talent would take a, a, a backward kind of step because at that point you had to learn how to act. You know, when talkies came about, a lot of actors... Imagine if you see an actor just doing these amazing physical stunts. But he has a voice like this. And he can't fix it, you know? Yep. That That really kind of changed the game and that really kind of set the ball rolling on the evolution for the golden age of, of Hollywood. But again, it's it's one of those things where everything everything had its own category. You know, everything had its own individual category. So from you know from going to physical and being able to just show that emotion physically and your profile and guys like you know actors like John Barrymore and things like that to then actors who had to be able to talk and convey that emotion in a scene without having to jump through hoops physically. Yep. So. And that and that transition is a great one for Hollywood because the silent film area, of course, it's where Hollywood starts getting built up and that physicality and its stars. But people really <laughs> fell in love when they could finally hear the actors actually speak yeah. and took it to a whole nother level. And then that, that, that connection with the audience was all of a sudden heightened uh, more than ever. So yeah. those, uh, uh, so, and again, as Rick said to not a lot of people made that transition. It, it, it was hard. It was almost a culling of people from going from <clears throat> silent to talkies because now it didn't work. Before you could just imagine what they sounded like or imagine, uh, used to imagine, but all of a sudden that imagination went away, Hollywood, now really had this is how starlets speak and wispy voices and you gotta be a gruff man and like all these things went away from imagination and became real and so hollywood becomes more real at this point when talkies come about it's it's almost about it's almost like saying okay i see this actor as what i would like my hero to be and the thing about this is, is, is one thing that's very important. Silent films, there was a lot of comedy then. 
Mm-hmm. So that sort of leveled out um, a lot more when talkies came about. It leveled out mm-hmm. completely because <clears throat> at this point, nobody really wanted to see the Keystone Cops anymore. You know, um, Chaplin, I think, did one talkie, which was The Great Dictator, and, and then everything else that he did, he was the director in. Mm-hmm. Um, him and, uh, and Fairbanks and Mary Pickford have founded United Artists. So they had sort of their hands in the pie and could make that transition without having to worry about... Well, Douglas Fairbanks actually had died, so then there was Douglas Fairbanks Jr., but they didn't need to worry that much about it. Wasn't the case for every every actor, mm-hmm. especially if if you're talking about someone like say Fatty Arbuckle, who was as famous and as popular as Charlie Chaplin, but because of a sex scandal with a minor, ended up, you know, uh, dying an unfortunate death uh, in 1946, I believe it was. So. Yep. Drama. Drama. <laughs> you want to get into it? You want to get into the drama? No, no, no. I'll let you, I'll let you keep going. All, all right, right, all right. I, I just I just want to say you brought up <laughs> Fatty Arbuckle and Charlie Chaplin, and I actually have them on my list. Um, Charlie Chaplin was very much known to also like his woman very young. He kept 16. marrying 16-year-old girls. Uh, really and, one of his favorites. Driving them crazy, too. Yeah. Yeah, Leonardo DiCaprio looked at him and said, that's sick, I'm going to have mine two years older. And so that's why Leo does 18. Uh, exactly. Just because. Less yeah. drama. Uh, more, more legal. <laughs> more legal that way. But, you know, as, as Hollywood starts making this progression, um, then you start having a greater exposure. Meaning... Now the studios increase their output by a significant amount. And this is something that I mentioned on our last podcast. Studios did not have parent companies. Studios needed to make money. Box office was very important. So if a film made... You know, if if a film spent... if, if, If a ton of money was spent on a film, all right... And a ton of money was being spent on on a contracted film star, and at that point in time, film stars were, um, you know, were sometimes contracted and, and making anywhere between one hundred and fifty to two hundred thousand dollars a year. Which at that point in time, it, now that's great money. Back then, that was the kind of now money that we all dream of. You know, mm-hmm. you're talking about millions of dollars. So. A studio could sink or swim based on how a film did and based on output. And you did not have international box office, at least not like we do today. Because you hear, oh, X film did a billion dollars. And you're like, yeah, but that's 700 million American and 300 million overseas. So yes and no. I mean, yes, worldwide, but worldwide box office was not a thing. Um, So with that exposure came, you know, sort of development of the the paparazzi and all these other, 
kind of salacious yep. magazines that wanted to find stuff out that would bring these stars that were squeaky clean and perfectly shiny down to reality. Why? Because for every major film star, there were like 20 magazines covering them, talking about how great and perfect they were. When in fact, Hollywood, for a long time, was known as a place where, hey man, sex, sex everywhere. You know? Um, there a was... Vile place of villainy and scum i uh, you <laughs> well, know they were having fun the i don't know i don't know that i want to say vile <laughs> didn't have the best reputation. no i didn't have the best reputation but I, I would just say that they they were they figured that they were making all this money they could pretty much have sex on a on a roof if they wanted to and no one's gonna say anything about it but yeah. the problem is when they were doing that was a, a period of time when moral standard uh, was different where you didn't think that doing that was okay or you know having an orgy in your house with 20 chorus girls and, and whatever it wasn't okay and some people might not think that's okay right now but I'm saying comparatively speaking the majority of people lived very sheltered lives in this country at least at that point in time and there was a lot of repression and because well, it, of that you know well it also takes the place where because the motion pictures and the dissemination of them your hollywood stars that we think of them now you know before hollywood maybe you would read about a famous person maybe you got a recording of something uh, you know, maybe you could hear them on the radio. And that's a maybe, you know, right? You maybe yeah. heard them on the radio. You really didn't see them. You didn't get to know their lives. It was even the silent film stars were, were still much very not real, not a part. But when Hollywood really grows and gets into talkies, these industries and just following what is essentially rock stars before we can think of rock stars now, right? Your, your original Hollywood stars are rock stars. You could go anywhere in the country and know them instantly when a movie premiered it wasn't that i have to tour in theater or you have to hear my concert all of a sudden now a movie premieres you can go and watch in the movie theater and you automatically knew who charlie chaplin was everybody knew who charlie chaplin was you would see who charlie chaplin was so people's appetite for that and what are these stars what are they doing and and all of this from right because most people didn't travel a lot you probably never actually saw hollywood yourself but you would hear about it and see all these things on TV. So that appetite for uh, any new. And actually, I'm glad that you brought that up because here's the thing. At that point in time, if we go all the way back before television came about, you didn't. The only time that you saw anything about your favorite stars or what have you, A, you'd read it on the paper, okay? And it was very mm -hmm. carefully crafted news. Um, we mentioned William Randolph Hearst last podcast. William Randolph first controlled that, okay? Mm -hmm. um, there Basically, there was like a table of evil where all the studio heads and William Randolph Hearst, who had all the power, would say, this is what I don't want to get on your newspaper, okay? Yep. But, you know, the only time that you really saw news 
actually saw the news was in the in the in, you know when you went to theaters and you went to watch the the serials or this or that you saw what was called the uh, the newsreel which was akin to what we now call previews that was then the newsreel and you would have like a few films about the stars you would have a few films not a few films a few reels about news about the stars and everything like that like Charlie Chaplin got on a plane today and jumped off because he was chasing after a 60-year-old starlet. Ha <laughs> ha! Way to go, Charlie! Because that was acceptable back then, apparently. No. Uh, <laughs> no, and, and honestly, because of the squeaky clean image, you could think about it that any news, just, just think about it yourself, because we still do it today. If someone's squeaky clean, we're like, oh, are they really? So any newspaper that could actually find a star or get a story or news that wasn't part of that squeaky clean image that the studio was portraying was a gold mine. Uh, exactly. <laughs> it was a gold mine. Exactly. TMZ is still big to this day for that fact, but that started back in old Hollywood. But, you know, but the thing is this, and this is what I, what I have to say I find fascinating about this. You mentioned TMZ. Um, I don't know when was the last time you went to LA, but last time I went, and not even last time, I'm talking about even when I went like five years ago, but last time I went also, there was a TMZ uh, bus tour throughout Hollywood. I was like, man, this is really, <laughs> this is special. But, you know, then there are websites that also have like touring uh i think they have touring facilities but i'm not 100 percent sure if they still do actually this particular website like findadeath.com that's all about death dating back to the 1930s and 20s and stuff like that about scandalous things that might have led to a movie star's death um all because these these are things we know the real reasons why they happen now but we didn't you know no one knew the real reasons because they weren't going to be known like mm -hmm. talk about rudolph uh valentino the you know the man of men you know the stud of studs that's still kind of a mystery um guys like George George Reeves, wow, that, now you're talking some serial dark areas right there, the original Superman. Well, he wasn't the original Superman, actually, there was one before him, but he was the one that, that brought it to life in television. Um, but there's so many stories, so many, like, dark, seedy stories, where you think to yourself, man, there's there's more to this like a lot more and even to this day if you if you decide that you want to ask a question you get looked at as if hey you shut your mouth sir don't ask questions that you don't want the answers to and that's what fascinates me about that there's a morbid yeah. curiosity and it really depends on, on, on what, you know, which floats your boat the best. But that morbid curiosity is built on the fact that there are so many unresolved mysteries. Like the one that I would have to say sticks out to me the most 
the death of Thomas Ince. Okay. 1924. And there was a movie made about this. And it's been a huge source of speculation and debate for years. 1924. They get on the on the yacht, the Oneida, William Randolph Hearst yacht, for a massive party. And this is William Randolph Hearst. I mean, of course he's going to throw a massive party. He's God in Hollywood. So he hated Charlie Chaplin because he thought that Charlie Chaplin was sleeping with his mistress, um, the original Rosebud. And... <laughs> Rosebud was a name that he used for, well, uh, anybody that knows the story knows where I'm going, so I'm not going to go there. But um, <clears throat> I think he, you should go there. You should say a little bit of okay, it. Okay, so you mentioned it. You all right, all right, all right. Bit. So I'm going to go all the way here. This might offend some people, but essentially, William Randolph first um, called Mar uh, Marion Davis's vagina Rosebud. That's what he called it. That's where that line came from. So Orson Welles was very well aware of that. Rosebud. Yeah. <laughs> There's not a lot of not a lot of magic to that line. <laughs> but um so there like she's sitting at this party with Thomas Inns from behind supposedly. This is what happened from behind Hearst thought that that was Sha that, that was Charlie Chaplin. So he shoots Ince in the back of the head, shoots him dead, and decides to say to everyone, um, look, clearly he's had a heart attack. It's a body bleeding out in the middle of your goddamn yacht. There is no heart attack. No, this is clearly a heart attack. Luella Parsons was there. He gives her a lifetime job. All right. That's why she became like the most powerful gossip columnist in the history of Hollywood, because she had supposedly she had some shit on him because she was there that night. Hence, <clears throat> his body is taken out of the yacht. Apparently, I don't know if there was ever like an actual uh, um, autopsy performed but his wife is told that he's died of a heart attack she's taken care of for life and she thinks she gets like a thousand dollars a week until the day of her death or something to that effect um but other people say no he legit had a heart attack i want to believe the gunshot thing just because it's like way cooler to believe and <laughs> kind of morbid <laughs> it's terrible no but that's the kind of stuff and many people would drive to would say that if you've ever been to San Simeon uh, Castle, which was Hearst's castle, it takes a good 20 minutes to drive up that driveway. 20 minutes is enough time to stash a body. Now, this didn't happen in Hearst Castle, but I'm just saying that Hollywood was the kind of place that it was so close stuff to everything else, and there was so much money and so much wealth to throw around because people were controlling mediums. You're talking about controlling mediums here. When you reach people at that sort of level, and the biggest medium at that point was newspapers, bigger than radio, bigger than anything else. Marconi didn't even mm -hmm. have the kind of reach that, that Hearst had. Yep. In this country, Marconi was a mogul. So when that happens, you know. You freaking know yep. something's amiss.
you know? And so, just like right now, I'm going to say, because I do stand for Ray Fisher, Ray Fisher's allegations against WB, I can't get away from Justice League. And Josh Whedon, <laughs> the Justice League set. Before then, before they would send an investigator, old Hollywood would have probably sent in a fixer, someone like Eddie Mannix, which if you've watched the Coen Brothers, Hell Caesar, you've probably seen this, but it's real life. They used to have fixers in Hollywood whose job was to, quote unquote, fix problems that went wrong. Uh, so if your star was drinking or let's say having sex with underage girls, it was his job to go to, to make it go away. <clears throat> if you were someone like Patricia Douglas, who definitely was raped by Hollywood executives and tried to say, no, 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 this is wrong, bring in a trial, someone like Eddie Mannix would come in and make that go away because studios wanted to keep their squeaky clean image. So people like Hearst would also have fixers and cleaners to make everything go away. Uh, it is a story that, again, drama that keeps keeps going. There's a lot of, lot of scandalous stuff that happened in early Hollywood. So if you think now, oh, Hollywood is all bad now, oh, it was bad in the beginning as yeah, well. I, I would George say, Reeves, which yeah. I want to bring up, since I'm bringing up Annie Mannix, supposedly had an affair with Annie Mannix's um, wife, wife, and then he quote-unquote committed suicide uh, 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 when Eddie Mannix found out. Now, of course, some people think that he that they, uh, that they he definitely, you know, gave him one good shot in the head because he was um, shot, beaten up, bruised. <clears throat> uh, the autopsy wasn't... The autopsy said, nope, it was a suicide, and they kind of brushed it away. Uh, <laughs> so you can see some of the power that the biggest people had uh, definitely in there. And again, I just want to notice that all your faves, and I mean all of your old-time faves, are problematic. Uh, I'm always going to say that here. From people like Aaron Flynn, also like to actually went on trial for statutory rape, because also like underage girls, to Charlie Chaplin, as we mentioned earlier, to uh, Elvis <laughs> Presley, the, the, list, the list goes on. Uh, a lot of your Hollywood stars love their underage girls. And... That was not so much accepted. That's why they try to get Orson Welles with it. And that's why they had fixers to make all that stuff go away. Because well, it was still considered a taboo when you tried to uh, have underage girls. Yeah, yeah. So, again, drama. But Even for- Elvis Presley, who supposedly had, uh, supposedly was very self-conscious about his performance in bed, also liked underage girls. All your favorite are problematic. All of them are problematic. But, Name but, one, they're problematic. But here's the funny thing. In Hollywood... There was, and I'm going to go into this, and I highly suggest that anybody that that knows what I'm talking about watches the documentary about the actual guy. Um, for every vice, there was someone, that, yeah, there were fixers, and the fixers would only come in when the situation got dire. But, um, there was also providers. And those providers, man, they made a handsome living. Let me put it to you like this. There's a show called Dreamland in Netflix. I think it's on Netflix. Mm-hmm. on Netflix. Dreamland. Dreamland is based on a real story. The gas station was real. There was a gas station somewhere in Hollywood where you would go, you would say the, the, the magic word, and it was essentially where a lot of people that were closeted would you know have an opportunity to be with the mm-hmm. people that they wanted to be with and they said that um Cary Grant uh Catherine Hepburn 
Spencer Tracy. They said that, you know, even Spencer Tracy and Catherine Hepburn, supposedly, and this is on, on, a, on a documentary, because there was a book um, that Dreamland is based off of, and it was from a guy that was essentially uh, a worker for hire, a uh, male escort for hire, uh, primarily for other gentlemen. And this guy actually blew the lid off of a lot of this. Now, how many people believe him and how many people don't believe him, I don't know. But it was a very compelling story from beginning to end. And that's what Dreamland is is based on. Sham, so, sham weddings were abound in early Hollywood. Oh, uh, Rock Hudson was married for four years to his secretary. Um, there were a lot of people that were, because the whole thing was managers. A manager's job, and you know, an agent's job was to get you work. A manager's job was to protect you. So the manager had to figure out how to ensure that if you had a secret, that secret didn't come out, regardless of what it is that you were doing with your free time. So actors like Montgomery Cliff, Rock Hudson. You know, no one knew about their personal life because it wasn't, you know, they could not. Because if, if I, if, if you were exposed as doing something that was considered, you know, behavior of, uh, you know, moral turpitude or whatever, then that meant that the goose that laid the golden eggs was going to die off and that was going to be a loss for the studio. So the studios always looked at it that way and that way alone. If you had a vice, heroin was very popular in those days. For some reason, uh, heroin was incredibly popular. Like in the, in the 40s and 50s specifically, late 40s and 50s, people were really into heroin. But you weren't gonna know who was who was taking heroin back then, and you 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 know, you weren't gonna know if someone was an alcoholic or whatever because again, that's not the way it was meant to be at that point in time. Yeah, studios would also were known to give known drug addicts uh, their drugs and their fixes so they could finish movies and up before taking them to rehab or anything else. Because if your major star went to rehab. That's a big no-no. <laughs> so you had to keep them happy, keep them healthy. That means giving them drugs uh, in order so that they can keep going and getting through. That was the same with drugs and alcohol. So known alcoholics and drug abuse, they would let it go in order to keep their stars functioning, basically. Well, and, uh, and, and the stars were being paid weekly, too. So it's like if you were making, uh, if you were making say, $200,000 a year, that's let's say 240 you're making twenty thousand dollars a month they were p getting paid five ten thousand dollars a week back when people weren't making that much money per year yep you know and they would provide them with girls if they wanted girls so that's where a lot of girls would come in um you know and the stories that you hear oh i found this girl here you found the girl at schwab's pharmacy or whatever but what did that girl have to do after you met her at Schwab's pharmacy for her to get the part? Because 100% of the time, well, maybe not 100% of the time, but 99%, 90, let's say 98% of the time, I'm being fair here. Um, 
someone had to do something. Someone had to do something. Yep. And so. I'm going to say the Me Too movement was long coming because, just as Rick said, that was very true. Early Hollywood was not the kindest to women. Uh, and the things that women had to go through and were forced to do was horrible. Judy Garland is a prime example from NGM executives who always try to make her feel fat to the point they only let her eat coffee, well, drink coffee and have diet pills. And that literally was it. And if she even tried to say something else, they would call her fat. She had eating disorders and abuses from an early age just put on by Hollywood. So even if they weren't sexually assaulting, they were doing some other really, really bad things to the two women in Hollywood. But you bring that up, and I'm glad you brought it up, because one of the biggest problems, too, at that point in time was stage parenting. Stage Mm -hmm. parenting was like an epidemic. And here's what... One of the best examples. Now, this story has been going around for years, and I don't know if it's true or not, but it has certainly been said in enough credible circles to where you kind of have to wonder the truth of it. Um, now, Natalie Wood became a star at, like, I think five years old with uh, Miracle on, uh, on 34th Street. Mm-hmm. Natalie Wood obviously would go on to have a very unfortunate death or what have you, but, you know throughout her career she became really something special like one of the last major true stars well when Natalie Wood was 16 years old supposedly she was invited to a meeting with Kirk Douglas who was one of the first producers one of the first actors to have his own production company Um, supposedly and I have to emphasize this because I obviously don't know the facts wasn't there I know what I've heard so I'm just relaying this and I want to make sure that that's clear I'm just relaying what I've heard and read a few times mm-hmm. supposedly he um, when she did not want to have consensual sex with him basically raped her for hours okay Her mother took her to a hospital and said, you cannot report this if you want to have a career. Talking about raped Mm -hmm. her, beat her up, spit on her, all sorts of disgusting things. Now, I've heard this story told um, in a documentary about Natalie Wood, and I've read the story. Um, It was published, and supposedly it had been Robert Downey Jr. that wrote... Um, wrote something with regards to that, but he wrote it um, anonymously because he had heard it from Natalie Woods' daughter. Now, let's assume for a second that that is true, which it wouldn't be a surprising thing. All right? Nope, because Hollywood used to cover up and say rape. It, I brought yeah. up Patricia Douglas earlier because I just want to say they try to ruin that woman in her career for stepping up. So yeah. it is very common. Exactly. So, you know, you can't imagine if there's anything worse than that, and I don't know what it is because, you know, I've, I've been fortunate and that's never happened in my life. And, and, you know, I have to say that I cannot, I would not be able to understand it from the point of view of, of I'm, I, I can't, 
relate to it, you know. So I'm not going to insult a person by saying, I can understand what you're going through. The hell I can't. No, that is a very personal, very horrible thing to happen to someone. So no, mm. no one can understand it unless they've lived through it. Having said that, if, if there's anything worse than that, it's got to be your own freaking mother telling you, you know, you got to cover this up so you can keep going in your career. Like, how in the hell can you do that to a kid? Mm-hmm. A 16-year-old kid. You don't yep. do garbage like that. Like, at all. What's wrong with you? I'll be like, screw yeah. Hollywood. Screw this whole thing. You're not raping my kid. Yeah. 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 Yeah, no. Hollywood was crazy. And it was full always with, again, powerful male figures. Uh, you've heard this story for even Kubrick and The Shining. It goes even further back to Hitchcock. Uh, Tippi Hedren, who always said that Hitchcock tried to force herself on her, was very misogynistic and would really basically stalk her at the time. Uh, and, and these are the type of stories that really get buried in those when we talk about Hitchcock and all these others, that the other side of them is also kind of problematic. On that show, actually, um, Hollywood Babylon, which I very highly suggest that people try to look it up on YouTube. I don't know if it's on there anymore or if it's on there at all. It, it's only on the air for like one season. There, there was actually... They would do like um, reenactments of what would happen in certain things, and um, supposedly Alfred Hitchcock one time gave a little coffin with a Barbie doll inside of it to like Melanie Griffith. And I don't know if this is true or, or what have you, and said, "Look, it's a mommy doll, like just to screw with her because the mother wouldn't, you know, meet his demands." And he had, apparently Hitchcock was very voyeuristic and yep. wanted to watch women strip like with a telescope. It was like the weirdest thing. Um, at least that's how they, they spun it. So it was one of those things where he was, um, yeah, he was kind of creepy. And I don't want to give um, the tabloids out of this because... When we talk about even the transition from silent film to talkies, Clara Clara um, Bow is one of them who had a successful career. Yep, she did a bunch. But uh, really, it's a it's an actual point where fake news can ruin your career. Uh, since she wouldn't give them more, be too much in the spotlight. They told that they would ruin her career if they didn't, if she didn't give more and open up, and she did not, and they literally ruined her career, where she could no longer work in Hollywood. Uh, because of it, they sent people to prison for it too. It's 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 honestly insane the early Hollywood stories that you would hear that people would want to ruin people's career, especially women. So uh, the Me Too movement was long coming for Hollywood and needed and needed to be done. Well, you know what? If you go to um, not Sunset, and this is right outside um, Groman's, right next to Groman's, there's like a little enclave with. Um, you know stores and stuff of that nature and there's like outside of a starbucks there's a big couch this is a work of you know contemporary and it says this is how hollywood was made made it's a it's a couch sculpture and it says this is how hollywood was made well i mean you can't say that it wasn't because here's the thing is a lot of people would would not admit 
A lot of people that that didn't have a lot of women that didn't have careers didn't have careers because they wouldn't play that game. So if they were raped, they left and they left with the scar, and they felt like, okay, I can't really fight this. I won't fight this because there's there's no way I can. When you have people like Hearst in the background who are infinitely rich <laughs> and will silence anything. And the but and again the problem. But Council is, of Evil was very much real. Like yeah. what Rick was saying, it was very much real. It's it's a bunch of people that basically control this entire town. But the thing is, if you're controlling the mediums and you're controlling the narrative, and they were controlling the narrative, then people at that point had zero option. Mm-hmm. So, again, you know, and that, I guess that would change eventually. That would change, obviously. And, you know, we, we're living in an age of, of Me Too and all of that. But at that point in time, yeah, try hashtag Me Too. See how it worked for you. There was no Instagram. There was no, there were no mm-hmm. cell phones. There were no, uh, you know, there was no Facebook. There's nothing. It's just, you know... It's what we tell you. Mm-hmm. If you don't like it, tough shit. Yep. I mean, Mickey Rooney, like, was married to Ava Gardner, for example. They were married for about a year, I think. Mickey Rooney was um, the number one star in the box office for a couple of years, and then after that, he was still one of the top guys in the box office. The studio did not want him married to Ava Gardner. Because Ava Gardner at that point in time was not a name star. She was a beautiful woman. But she was not a name star. Mickey Rooney was. So, you had, you know, Hollywood with that salacious underbelly that just was waiting. Just waiting to be picked apart. You know, and it wasn't yep. until big scandals later on really made the rounds. And, and those big scandals that made the rounds later on made them because at that point in time, news outlets were not with, withholding to Hollywood in any way, shape, or form. They didn't owe anything to Hollywood. They didn't need to do anything for Hollywood. NBC, ABC, CBS, um, eventually CNN, all these news um, outlets would, you know... I mean, the first three were not news outlets, granted, but they had, they were reporting news the way news needed to be reported at that particular point in time. So then it became a cat and mouse game because it was like, okay, well, I can report this, but I'm not going to report this crap. You know, uh, I'm not, if it's a puff piece, you know, I'm not going to do it. You kill somebody, you kill somebody, and I'm going to find out about it, and your life is going to be hell. So a lot of, Careers were destroyed or or nearly destroyed beyond repair just by process of association. But again, it was because things at that point were being reported. Now, tabloids found that by digging and planting a seed and, you know, sticking with people that would sell the papers like Elizabeth Taylor and people like that, they could go on. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, but that also then became the whole ideal of, um, hey, there's no such thing as bad publicity. As long as people are talking about you, you're good to go. You know. Yep. So. Yep. And 
So we have stories like that. Uh, contemporary Marilyn Monroe who used to do that and let nipple slips and stuff come out to try to get a little more press because she literally, that, that she literally coined the phrase. <laughs> but we'll save those for another time. Uh, yeah, I just bring up those stuff because we always like to say we are content with the conscious so we understand and can talk about old Hollywood and also understand the problems that were associated with it so we don't want to pretend that they did not exist and weren't there. So uh, so some of that scandal parts that you're thinking, they're like, oh, man, that got serious and real. Of course, because, you know, these are real people in real lives that we talk about when they're old. Uh, even though they're old, it's real stuff that informs the way we do everything today. And also, it's a good way to basically make you understand, and, and I think this is the crux of this particular um, podcast, to make you understand that you do not have to sacrifice your self-respect for any person mm -hmm. or any reason whatsoever. No one has the right to take your self-respect, your dignity, your morality, no one has none, no one's perfect no one no. is perfect and no one's ever going to be perfect and that's fine we're all clear on that but yep. you don't have to discuss your career with a perv at three o'clock in the morning in their hotel room that doesn't have to be an option and never have yep. it should have never been an option to begin with but it's definitely not an option now you yep. know if and, you have you got no, and, and I think that's the important thing that we talked about last week about independent filmmaking and we saw from Orson Welles himself uh, why we're independent filmmakers as well because of that, being able to control uh, the narrative and story for yourself. Because uh, Hollywood is great uh, as much as we're a part of it in a sense too. We're putting our films out there and <laughs> going to be a part of it. But know your history, know kind of what happens and what people went through in order to understand you know, what they're going through now. But also know your present and understand that it doesn't have to be, you know, with so many different places that are sprouting up that are either rivaling or toppling Hollywood, mm -hmm. with so many different ways to present your content that are either rivaling or toppling the way that, it, that it's done in Hollywood and the, and, and the formulaic nature of it, you have to know and understand that you have those possibilities and you, you have to know and understand how to exploit them but in order to do that you have to know you know past and present in order to know exactly mm -hmm. how the future is geared there's there's connecting lines everywhere there yep so obviously yep. there's a reason why we're saying this and that's the reason why because ultimately you want to know that to move forward if we were under the impression that hey let's wait and write everything and then not produce anything and just wait until somebody in Hollywood says how great we are when we could get just as much if not more for our bottom line and the bottom line of our business in in Georgia or in, uh, in Vancouver or anywhere else then we're not you know we're not gonna make it mm -hmm. and that's and that's an important part so know all your stuff you know, because you don't want to be told this is the only way to do something and then be broken and believe it. And that's the end of your life. That's the end of your career. That's the end of your dream. It shouldn't have to end that way. Yep. Hollywood is a city built on dreams, but dreams are not contained to Hollywood. 
So. Exactly. <laughs> Straight dreams are made of... The... I'm sorry. Go These. <laughs> so thank you much for touring a little bit of... Drew! Drew! But a lot of history from especially Professor Rick Acevedo there, giving us a lot about that Hollywood history, uh, which I really enjoyed and really got thank into. You. Uh, just to just learn a little more about it. And, yeah. you know, I like to bring my little mustache here and bring, and bring that back because I like to always tell people how their faves are problematic because I'm a lot of fun. Uh, <laughs> at parties invite me to parties guys i swear i'm so fun uh <laughs> we true story we were in italy and this is this is the one thing all right that this is what where i back it up with this we're splitting this amazing pizza drinking wine watching the world uh world cup, cup. Mm-hmm. all right Jonathan had found his wine, so he was happier than happy could be. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, I I wasn't that happy in Christmas morning, and I loved Christmas morning when I was a kid. Dove el vino. Dove el vino. And then John is having his wine. I'm having the pizza. I think I took a little bit of the wine. We have a bottle mm-hmm. of wine open, and all of a sudden we burst out into when the moon hits your eye like a bigger pizza pie. That's... That's everybody so in the boring. restaurant, everybody in the restaurant is going crazy, loving it. I don't know what they were saying, but yes, the guy's very fun at parties. I absolutely <laughs> agree with this. Just get him some pizza and wine, and you're <laughs> going to freaking enjoy the hell out of what comes afterward. But do not dare to keep him away from his popcorn. Otherwise, World War Three is going to start, and when this man gets going, I can't stop him. So, no. you know, you're not going to have me to, to, to try to get in the way of that speeding <laughs> freaking bullet. What do you mean? They don't have my pop. I can't get my popcorn here. What do you mean? Yeah, I'll, I will be. You don't. If I don't have my popcorn, I'll I'll be blowing up like Tom Cruise. I'll just be blowing up and yelling at people. Yeah, uh, it'll be a bad. He, he might call, <laughs> he might call you glib in 12 different languages. He can do it. I've seen it done. All right. <laughs> I know, really. But, uh, Rick, anything you'd like to suggest them to watch this week? Any recommendations? For anyone that hasn't done so already, and I'll probably do this for at least 12 more podcasts, um, watch Searching for Betty Paoli. We're on Tubi. We're going to be in Alchemy. Uh, do ya. And Canelo TV. Also watch uh, Boys School. That's what we're doing right now. Um, as far as streaming, I am watching a really cool series called The Challenger Final Flight. If you're into, um, you know, space program stuff, that talks about, obviously, the ill-fated and unfortunate 1986 uh, Challenger explosion. So I'm watching that, and I highly recommend it. That's yep. it for my recommendations. So mine is also going to be the same, searching for the Betty Bowley. It is... It is a great film, great story, got to say it there. And uh, one of, I, I say the star of the documentary, Dr. Manzella, I was actually just talking about her last week and her great and amazing work. So just a shout out to Dr. Manzella. You are she, just amazing and great. Dr. Dr. Manzella is the coolest, mm-hmm. I want to say most beautiful woman ever. Yeah. And she does really important work out there and work that she really fights for. Uh, And so it's amazing to see. I've been telling Rick, like, I would shoot a documentary just about her and her work 
period over and over again. Well, she's, th this she's just that amazing. This um, so this woman's courage is incredible because to do what she does, uh, not a lot of people would do that. But trust me, uh, not a lot of people have the ability that <clears throat> that Dr. Manzella has um, at this. So big shout out to her. She is she's just um, she's just a rock star, rock star yeah. superstar. All the way. We talk to we talk about her a little behind the scenes, but I just want to say it again because I was just talking about her and uh, to some other people, and I was talking about the film and just her greatness. So go oh, and take absolutely. a look at it. Uh, she'll teach you a lot in that documentary, she, and she does it so easily and well, and it's amazing. So please go and watch it. Uh, I would say don't watch Seaspiracy because they do have information and take people out of context who they interviewed. So if you're ever going to do a documentary, that's a big no no out there always be fair to the people that you are interviewing and taking uh their words from putting it out of context and uh misconstruing their words is very yeah. bad and so that documentary does do that so do not watch that one that's Abs what i would say okay all right cool yeah so watch ours instead so if you wanted to watch that one go now watch ours instead uh because people actually get to say what they wanted to say exactly. uh, and ours <laughs> they got they got to say what they wanted to say and that's the important part so i 100 percent um you know and, and i am biased obviously a little bit but um i i 100 uh, and the same as boy that. schools yeah For the same position because yeah. people's story actually get to get heard uh which is very important this time and it goes with some of the themes we we're talking about today in hollywood so uh exactly. go and take a look at that as well because it definitely is about people's voices being heard who don't don't necessarily have the power before to have those voices being heard and that's a really powerful thing out there and i think documentaries can give people that so definitely also watch boy school out there for sure and um just keep sharing the podcast keep um mm -hmm. you know keep supporting us we greatly appreciate you um we want to obviously continue to grow our numbers as uh as we move on and uh it takes time and patience both both things that we have and that we recommend to everyone don't lose mm -hmm. don't lose your patience if you have a dream no. if you have something that you want to do be patient persevere don't let anything stop you from pursuing it. That's how we live. That's how we do. That's what we do. So remember that. So, yep. Tell Allie hi on the Instagram, as always. Oh, sure. Uh, give her, yeah, give her a big shout out. Uh, like, share, and subscribe. And we'll see you next week. Next week, people.